Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 146. Psalm 146 starts the last set of psalms in the Bible. We do not know who wrote 46, 47, 48, 49, or 50, but they are all praise psalms, and we know this because those five psalms all begin with praise the Lord and end with praise the Lord. Praise the Lord is bookends to each of these five psalms. The the book of Psalms, 150 psalms, have shown grief and shame, sin, doubt, and fear. They have talked about defeat and victory, ups and downs, rebellious words, and struggling faith. And the book of Psalms ends with five profound psalms of praise, and that is something that we can actually look to, we can understand that whatever we're going through in life, whatever we are difficulties we are having in our lives, we can always end it with praise. We can always end the day with praise. We can end every thought with praise because we know whatever we're going through, whatever difficulty we have in our lives, God has not abandoned us. God has not walked away. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who have had their sins forgiven by His blood, we need to be people of praise. We need to start situations, start the day with praise, have praise throughout the day, and end the day with praise. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, the word that is translated praise the Lord is the word hallelujah. Hallelujah is a single Hebrew word. It is a compound word. And we translate it in our English Bibles for the most part as praise the Lord. And so these five psalms have been called the hallelujah psalms or the hallel or the praise psalms because of that. Now, hallelujah is a is a big word, and we like to sing it, and we like to say it, but we don't necessarily know what it means. A pastor by the name of Roy Clements, who was the pastor of the Eden Baptist Church in England, he had a sermon once on these five psalms, and he said that there are three words understood in every language, and they're the same in every language, and that is amen, hallelujah, and Coca-Cola. Amen, we know what it means. We say, so be it. We put it on our prayers to ask God to do these things. Coca-Cola, we know what it means. Hallelujah, we're not too sure sometimes about the depth of the word. When I was in seminary taking Hebrew, one of the midterms was to write the full etymology or word source of hallelujah because it is a very large compound word and we had to do that from memory in class. Now, our culture, we will just say 
hallelujah, try to ram, ram it, and we do not really understand what it means. But it, as I said, it is a compact word. It does mean hallel, means praise or praise God. That can be divided into meaning a praise prayer or a prayer to God for praise. And lulia or yah at the end is a shortened for God's name. So it literally means praise of God. In this psalm, you will see that L-O-R-D, Lord, is all small caps, all capital letters. That means that the author of this psalm is using the covenant name when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and Moses said, what is your name? God said, I am that I am. And that is translated as Yahweh because of some superstition, because of some holiness. In the English Bible, we do not put Yahweh, we put capital L-O-R-D to mean the covenant name of God. So one thing we have to know when this psalm is talking about praise and it's talking about how we praise God and when we praise God. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever see a prayer or a teaching that says praise God because he met your expectations or praise God because he did exactly what you wanted him to do or praise God because he gave you a Ferrari or a Mercedes or a whatever, they, a chariot, whatever they were doing in the biblical times. The idea is we praise God for who he is apart from me. I praise God for who he is. You praise God for who he is. And so we can praise God together because even though you have different expectations in life, because you have a different job, because you have a different house, because you have different wants and desires, because you like a different flavor of ice cream, perhaps. We can still praise God because our praise is God-directed, not me-directed. And that's why you can have a church full of all sorts of different people from different backgrounds, all praising the same God with our whole heart, because it is God-focused, it is not me-focused. And so people have looked at this idea of praising God for who He is. And there are four ideas that come out of the Psalms. And the first is, worship is work. We think sometimes that worship is a form of entertainment. That there are those who will go because a church has a wonderful praise band or because the pastor is really funny or all sorts of ideas about why people go to church and why people praise God. But true praise of God is work, meaning that, number two, we have to engage our minds. We have to know who God is. If I am saying I am praising God, I must be able to give a, a definition a sense of what I am praising God for. I must be able to remember and understand and speak back to God some of his attributes. I can say I can praise God for his love and you say, well, what does that mean or how does God love us? And I have to have an answer to that so I can intelligently praise God. I can praise God for his 
justice, for his faithfulness. We sing about his faithfulness. I can praise God for all his attributes, and then I have to have at least a handful of scriptural stories. I don't exactly have to memorize them. I don't have to know where they are even, but I can have stories in the Bible that explain what I mean when I say God is faithful and I'm praising him. And I can, you know, pick the story of, of Abraham and God took him up to the mountain and said, you're descendants will be more than the sands of the shore and more than the stars in the sky. And I look at the world and boom, it's happened that he does have, Abraham did have enough descendants to fill most of the Middle East. And so God's faithfulness is true. That promise came to pass and there are promises after promises after promises to the people of Israel and to the people of God and to the world. Uh, you have Noah. Noah was given a rainbow so that God would not flood the entire world ever again. And lo and behold, he hasn't. That was only a one-time thing. And God is not going to flood the world. According to Peter, God is going to use fire next time. But that is a, a something that we can go and we can praise God every time on a cloudy day. You can see a rainbow. You can actually praise God for that covenant and for his faithfulness. We can only know how to praise God, however, because he tells us. I can sit here and I can just imagine what God is like. I can just think about what God is like. I can make stuff up about how God is and what God is like, and that will send me down the path, and if I have enough influence over people, that is how cults get started, is people just think strange things about God, and they put them into a, into a teaching that is entertaining, and that is enticing, and then people follow them. I can only know who God is, and what God has done by the Bible, by being in the Bible, and that's why I say... If you are a Christian, you must be in the Bible to some degree every single day. Even if you're just reading a verse, or you're reading a chapter, or you're reading a paragraph, or you're reading a psalm, or whatever you're reading every day, you need to open the Bible on your phone or in a book or however you do it. You can even listen to the Bible. There's many, many audio Bibles that are out there, and you you need to get the Bible into your mind. You need to get the Bible into your heart. And we do that by reading or listening to the Word of God. And if you have a problem praising God, if you say, I don't really know what to praise God for because I, I look at my life and taxes are coming due and that's a tough thing and my car needs to be repaired and that's a tough thing, and I got ants in my kitchen, and that's a tough thing. And if I look at all those sorts of things, some people will say, there's nothing to praise God for because my life is in the doldrums. My life is in the you know, garbage pit, the way things are going. I can't get anything going. But that does not reflect on who God is. God remains the same. I can have a really bad day. And I can be really grumpy, and that happens sometimes. Sometimes I'm grumpy on a really bad day, 
And I can look at the Bible and the words don't change because I am grumpy, because I am in a bad mood. God does not change because I'm having a tough time of it. God's not having a tough time of it. And so I can praise Him in any situation. And we talk about praising God in the desert or in the happy place or the sad place. That's what we mean, is that God does not change. God remains the same no matter what is happening to me. And I can't interpret God by my bad attitude. I just need to realize that the Bible remains the same, that the words don't change, and that God remains the same. And I can always, no matter what's going on in my life, find something to praise God for. And if you're really stuck as a Christian praising God for something, you can always praise Him for the cross and all that went on the cross to save you and to bring you into an eternal relationship with God. And lastly, on worship, worship is personal. I cannot worship for you. You cannot worship for me. We come together and as a group worship, but each individual is worshiping because of my personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I have to learn how to worship God myself. Now I can do it next to you and you are worshiping God yourself, and that's what we call corporate worship, and there is, there is value in that. There is value in people individually worshiping together, but I cannot come and just ride the wave of worship. I must learn how to worship God myself and participate in the worship. And so when we're talking about praising God in psalms like this, that is what we're talking about. And as you get into verses 3 and 4, it says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. We do not look to people for the blessings and for the things that should be ascribed to God. I do not worship people. I do not put more trust in people than I do in God. And as we, in this country, are in a very big political divide, we do pick people because if everybody just picked God, the politics would just disappear. But we have to pick people to lead us to to speak into our minds, to show us what direction to go. And if you look at the history of the world or you look at the history of America, all the people who said that in the 1800s are now dead. That The people who had all the great ideas back then are gone. And all those who are telling you what to think and telling you how to act and telling you what to believe Apart from Scripture, those people eventually will die. Nobody lives forever on this earth. And so I need to take everything that is put into me with a grain of salt or with a full five-pound bag of salt and compare it to Scripture, compare it to what God is saying. And if you look, especially in the book of Galatians as example, the work of the flesh or the sinful work is division. Division is of Satan. 
Love and inclusion is of God. And so when we value more people, what we're saying is, I value a person or an idea more than God. And when we value somebody or something more than the one true and living God, we are actually making that philosophy or idea or person our God. Our trust needs to be ultimately in God. We trust other people, but we trust God fully and wholly. And if I value and trust and look for the input of something on TV more than the Bible, if I am, I mean, the, when I was growing up and the TV was, you know, just the thing, the only thing you had, no internet when I was growing up. Pastors would ask, and I would be asked in Sunday school, compare the time of TV versus Bible reading. You got 24 hours in the day, you got to eat in some of it, you got to sleep in some of it. Back then I had to go to school in some of it. But the discretionary time, how much do I do TV versus Bible input? There's even, you can even get the Bible on your TV. There are stations on cable and there are stations and apps in your set-top box where a scripture will appear on the screen and somebody will read it. So you can read along and then it goes to the next verse and the next verse and the next verse. There are actually TV channels on cable that do that 24-7, that do nothing but display and read the Bible to you. There, there's, I mean... If you want an excuse that you can't get the Bible, that doesn't exist in America. The Bibles flow like water. They're on every device. They're on every bookshelf. The average home in America has nine Bibles, okay? There is not a shortage of Bibles. We just have to take the time and say, what do I value? Do I value this? Or do I value some political talk or some law that's being passed or some, you know, crisis that's happening? And if I am valuing something on earth more than I'm valuing God, that is a dangerous situation because God has lasted through every world leader. World leaders come and go. Countries come and go. God is the same. And the second thing is, perhaps I'm not valuing some, <clears throat> some charismatic speaker. Perhaps I'm valuing me more than I value God. And how can I value me more than I value God? I value my ego. I value my pleasure. I value my free time. I value whatever I have to do to cause me to doubt God, because if I value myself more than I value God, I'm going to find all sorts of things that God's doing that I don't like, and that's going to cause me to doubt God, and that started with Eve. If you remember that, Satan said, God lied, and Eve said, well, that's good to look at, and it gives me wisdom, and it tastes good. And therefore, I'm going to eat it, and it's all downhill from there. You can value yourself more than God. And the biggest reason when I've witnessed to people 
back when I worked in the corporate world, when I've witnessed to people walking around the neighborhood, the number one reason they will not come to church or even hear about Christ is they don't have enough time. That is valuing yourself more than God. Jesus had 24 hours a day. God walking the earth, and he had 24 hours a day. Jesus did not have an extra 36 hours in his pocket that he could grab every night. He had the same 24 hours that you have, and he seemed to live a pretty godly life for us. He did everything that God wanted. And so he made choices. You say, yeah, but he's God. Yeah, but he got tired, he got hungry, he got dirty. You read about all the humanity. He was exhausted at the end of the day, and he decided to pray all night because he knew where the value of a relationship of God was versus a something with somebody else. Then you get to five to six. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord of God. When you Lord his God. When you have statements that refer to an Old Testament character like Jacob, one thing that does for us is it puts God's activities in real time, in historical time. We can read that and understand that Jacob, who became Israel and had the 12 sons and went to Egypt, and then you had uh, 430 years in Egypt, that these are not fairy tales, these are actual historical events that if I could get into a time machine and, and look over you know, Egypt during that time, I would actually see these events happening. And then Moses comes and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And you get these 10 plagues and you get you know, these fantastic movies that are made about this situation. These are historical events that God wants us to remember. He wants us to remember because they are huge, fantastic historical events. Reading the first 12 chapters of Exodus, reading the Old Testament stories of God doing miraculous things, for his people and to, to count it as some sort of fairy tale or didn't really happen is not how the Bible puts it together. The Bible, when God is using these people to write the Bible, he'll throw in historical names like Jacob and Noah and Abraham because that's supposed to bring our mind to, oh yeah, God did this great Exodus thing back in the Old Testament Consider what he could do today. There's basically nothing God can do today, and he's already shown it in history. And so there are several things that are coming rapid um, succession here. First, God is called our hope in verse 5. America is a hopeless place, especially, you know, you turn on TV and all people do is complain. We are a complaining society. We are a society versus hate. We are full of hopelessness. Because if we only do this one thing, it'll be great. And that one thing doesn't make it great. And if we think this one thing, 
and it'll be great. And we think that one thing and it's not great. People no longer trust each other. People no longer trust the government and the whole pandemic with the mask thing. Satan has used to instill in our minds that people are untrustworthy, that we have lost hope. God is our hope. Jesus is called our hope. We have a hope that will be fulfilled. I can hope in God all the time, wearing a mask, doing whatever. I can trust in God. I can hope in God. And it will end well. It will end fantastic. Nobody, we sang, can you only imagine? No, you can't. You cannot imagine what heaven is going to be like. It is so unlike here that it is going to be wonderful and fantastic. Our God is a saving God. Our God is a delivering God. Our God is a loving God. Our God never fails. Our God is faithful to the end. And that is what our hope is in. And I can look to people for help, but I never trust them more than God. Number two, God is eternally faithful, and that is something. You say, well, how, you know, what's going to happen? Well, God has made promises throughout Scripture of bringing in His people into His realm, into His presence, and that is something that is going to happen. Nobody's going to discover something under a rock that is going to make God a liar. If God said something, he is going to be faithful to the very end. We may not like his timing, but God has the long view. God is playing the long game, the very long game. And at the end, those who believe in him here today will spend eternity with him forever. So what can God do in 7 through 9? It says in verse 7 that he sets the prisoners free. One thing to note is Jesus said that about himself, and he never went to the prison and opened the doors. Jesus Christ never set any prisoners free. So, what is he talking about? A lot of people think that he's talking about spiritual prison. That yes, when Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas were captured by people and put in prison, there were earthquakes and the doors just opened. Peter was able to just pass out, you know, walk through the prison and get out. So there is physical prisoner release. But this doesn't mean that San Quentin will be empty this afternoon. But it does mean we can put missionaries, and we do, even during COVID, we can put missionaries inside of San Quentin and teach the Bible and there is a revival that is going on in prisons all across America as people are finding, prison, uh, finding um, freedom, finding release on death row, finding life while they have life in prison, that people are understanding that what goes on in the spirit, in your heart, trumps everything that goes on in the physical. It says it gives sight to the blind. Jesus did that. Jesus healed somebody born blind. And the Bible says in that story, nobody's done that before or since. And in the history of the world, even today with all of our stuff, we cannot give sight to somebody who is born blind. Jesus is the one 
who gives sight and he is healed. Even today, people's blindness have been healed. This also has a spiritual aspect that in sin, we are blind and God gives us sight so that we can see through the Holy Spirit. It says, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Bowed down is a metaphor in scripture. It means sad, depressed, dejected. If I'm you know, down, I'm down. Hopeless, oppressed, overburdened. God fixes that. God lifts you up. As the song says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Higher and higher. We used to sing that in high school. The idea that God lifts you up because if you focus on the world, if you focus on the garbage of the world, you can't be happy about it. You're depressed, you're dejected, you're demoralized. You get your eyes on God, and he lifts you up. He lifts you up into his presence, but you have to get your eyes off the world and on to God. It says in verse 8 that the Lord loves the righteous. God does not wait for us to do things that he likes. God actually puts his righteousness upon us. He puts the righteousness of Christ on us. And he loves us, not because of our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. I cannot do anything to cause God to love me more. God loves me as much today as he will for all eternity because of his choice of love, because of the righteousness of Christ. And in verse 9, there are three categories of people throughout the Old Testament that have always had it bad. The first is the foreigner. In the Jewish towns, if you were a Gentile and you walked through the Jewish towns, they're not going to help you. There was the fatherless, because fathers were the ones back then who earned all the money, who gave status to the children. If the father died when the child was young, the child has no standing in society. And then you have the widows. Back then, you had men who were the only ones who worked, and if the men died, the women, it says in the New Testament actually, the only thing that was left, if there was not a church to come around them, was prostitution or begging. The idea that a woman making it her way was not built into the ancient society. Today, of course, it is different. Today you can have very strong spiritual widows. You can have very strong spiritual orphans. But the idea that, and then in America, nobody's a foreigner. We're all in here together. And they, of course, have place in our churches. But the idea that God watches over everybody who's dejected, everybody who's disenfranchised, that we preach Christ and freedom to everybody we can, not based on social standing or money or where they live or what job they have. All of that is inconsequential to becoming a Christian. And that is why we preach to everybody and we allow everybody and welcome everybody into this church. You then have verse 10. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. God is an eternal God. 
He is not just for this season. He is not just for 2021. He is an eternal God, and He was there way before you, and He'll be there with you in all eternity for all generations. The Bible that I preach here is the same Bible that was preached uh, in the 1700s in early America, in the 1800s, uh, even during the Civil War, there were people, missionaries, preaching the Word of God to the war-torn America. And it is the same Jesus, it is the same God, it is the same salvation that was preached way back then and will be preached until Jesus comes again. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise You for this day. We praise You for all the wonderful things You show us in your word, and we pray that you will cause us to take this home and to ponder it and to look about how we spend our time and the, what we do, and that we may from this day forward walk closer with you. Lord, we praise you for all that you're doing to us these days, and we ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.